Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ. Greetings. God has been so very good to us. Amen? Amen. His mercies have been truly new every morning for us. And as the scripture says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There's a song that goes on to say, Oh, what fellowship divine when I am his. And he is mine, for in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Psalm 100, the psalmist guides us into gratitude for God. And something that happens in the heart of those that have been given saving faith is gratitude. If you remember when the, those who are cast into outer darkness are mentioned, it's almost peculiar to me that in the list of sinners, when we think of sinners, you know, adulterers and fornicators and lascivious, it's, it lists the unthankful. And what God does in us is he gives us hearts filled with thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we're thankful today for you. We're thankful not only because you forgive our sins, but because you have taken us who were strangers, who did not really have a people and a nation, and that you have made us your people, that we are citizens of your kingdom, that we are citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and that we are built upon the great foundation of the apostles and prophets with you yourself as the chief cornerstone. Lord, we pray today, Lord God, that you would lead us today in gratitude to your feet, that we would offer up 
our confessions of sin and you would forgive us, that you would speak to us and we would hear your words and be changed. In Christ's name, we pray that we would leave this place different. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. standing for just a bit more and I'm happy to announce to you that while Jeff read that I think I did find an understanding of exactly how the stories connect and you know what my favorite part of being God's servant is that God gets to talk to me and uh, speak things to my heart and my ears that I would never I'd never imagine or figure out on my own so I never get tired of it. I've done it for a really long time. And I pray that when I'm a very old man, that it excites me every time, just like it does right now. Amen? Amen. My sermon for you today is called, Where is the One? Everybody say, Where is the One? Where is it's not exactly what you might think, uh, but where is the One? My text is from Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. And it is the story of Jesus' encounter with ten lepers. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11, says this. Hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw, and when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. And he said unto the leper, Arise, go thy way, for thy faith hath made thee whole. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us. Lord, as you have spoken to me, I will speak to the people, but I pray that you would speak to us even more. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word, that your voice would continue to speak through me to your people, O oh God. Lord, that we would be changed by your words, that your words would give us the faith that we need to live the life that you have set before us. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Where is the one? Now, simply reading this story is powerful, and it stops me and it makes me think. It's, it's a simple story, yet it's filled with a, a great deal of nuance. To me, it's kind of like uh, a nursery rhyme, you know? You know how there'll, there'll be a kind of a, there was an old woman who lived in a shoe, right, you know? It's like, it's like, it's so short, it doesn't have to take forever to tell the story, but the story is simple and it says something, okay? So, 
wasn't a poem. It's not a nursery rhyme. It's short, but it's filled with the color and truth that is leading us really to a point. When I hear it, as we just did, the first thing that comes to my mind is gratitude, particularly the gratitude of the leper who was healed. And one of the first things that uh, I feel that I'm asking myself is, am I living, Derek, am I living a thankful life? Do I have gratitude? Am I remembering every day what I was and where I was going and what place my life was in when it was intersected by the Lord and he uh, took me off of the path of destruction that I was on and brought me to, to him. Like we read in the book of Colossians as we were doing our memorization. He hath translated us, right? He hath taken us from darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And I think, you know, do I take that for granted? Do I just live my life every day? And that's generally the first thing I think of when I read that story. I don't think that is the first thing, though, that the people hearing the story thought, or I really don't believe that's the point of the story. Now, next thing that comes to my mind is the lack of gratitude of the nine other lepers. And I think that I might be getting closer to Christ's meaning when I, instead of looking at the gratitude of the one, uh, I think that maybe the ingratitude of the other nine might be there. All ten were healed. But only one came back to say thank you. And so, ingratitude. And I kind of wonder, is that the point? And I think it's closer to the point, but I don't think that that's the point of the story of Jesus' encounter with the ten lepers. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus and the things that happened unto him, they happened unto him and for the others around him. The Bible says, for examples, that those who are living in the kingdom age would learn from them and know what to do. And I really believe that we can learn from them and it can give us something to do. The narrative is no different on closer examination. We will see what God has to say to us today. The point is, what is God's point here? Friday morning at our breakfast table, we talked about how a man or a woman or a child, how can they change their lives? You guys know the scripture from Psalm 119? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is what? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So as you hear God's word today, let's get understanding from the word. Let's think about what God's word says. Let's take all these wonderful things in. But it's not until we take heed. Everybody say take heed. It's not until we take heed that we bear spiritual fruit right james tells us this in james 1 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves so you can hear stories you can know the bible stories you can even understand the bible stories but until the bible stories come to a point of what do i do then they really haven't done a lot in you if you don't read the stories and go what do i do with what i just read then you haven't followed it all the way. When you read the Bible, guys, you should always be reading saying, what can I do based on what I just read? Verse 23 of James 1. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and he goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Heath, I always like to look at you because 
somehow there's, there's some similarities you and I have in our parenting style. We may be both as bad at it as we, as we you know, or good at it. I don't know. But, you know, you tell your kids something and, and you're like, Patrick. And you have the big talk. And you know he's listening to you. You even have him repeat. But if Patrick doesn't do it, right? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, when is somebody going to empty the bathroom trash can without being told? Like, when is someone going to notice that there's things laying on the floor in the bathroom? Please watch out for my children. All right. You're not as entertained by that as I am. But probably because your bathroom trash can gets emptied religiously. Uh, without anybody having to be told. If you can teach me how to teach my kids that, I really, really need a lesson in that today. All right? Now, when we look into God's Word, we should be looking for a way to put what we've read and heard and preached into action. So let's look at the story and see what, see what we can find that we can do. You ready? All right. So you're starting out in verse 11. It came to pass that when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, that he passed through Samaria and Galilee. All right, everybody say Samaria. Samaria. Now, the story we read from 2 Kings took place where? Everybody say Samaria. Samaria. And uh, the Samaritans were always over and over in Scripture used to make points. Okay? And we read about them quite a bit. Uh, if you remember who they were, they were people who mixed with the Gentiles. They mixed with the Canaanites of the land and they became kind of a mixed breed population. They did not do like God had said. And they also had another mountain that they worshipped on. Remember that? Jesus is talking to the woman and he goes, hey, there'll be a day when they won't go to that mountain and they won't go to the other mountain. It won't matter. But they're, they're, they're all going to, you know, people are going to come to God. And it's not going to, your dispute between what mountain you worship on isn't going to be anymore. Remember that? So these Samaritans were not really... Uh, they weren't the highest echelon of the population. They were low-life people, really. And when you, when you got the explanation of who they were, they were kind of like the, you know, they were the, they, were, they were the lower view. That's what's funny in the story of the good Samaritan. It's almost like, can you believe it? There's a good one, you know? I looked them out and, oh. You know, what's funny is, you, when everyone says Samaritan in today's day, what do they think of? They think of the... The good Samaritan. If you're, if you're on the street and you're talking to a heathen, you're like, the Samaritan. Oh, the good Samaritan. Well, trust me, in this day, the idea of a good Samaritan was a funny idea. Like, the idea that these lowlife mixed with the Canaanites, completely deceived, these heretics who worshipped on another mountain, they were not respected. They were thought of as low in every certain way that you can imagine, okay? So, the, so in Luke, just a few chapters before, is the story of the good Samaritan. And they're the Samaritans were used for contrast, and they were used to contrast the pure blood Israelites, you know? And so in the story of the Good Samaritan, if you remember, there's a priest and a Levite, right? And they each come by, and they see the guy who's wounded and bleeding and in trouble and needing help, and they're too busy to do anything about it. But along comes the Samaritan, and he does something good. This contrast was not to bring them to the point where they thought Samaritans were good. It was to bring them to the point that God uses unlikely people. And God doesn't look on what we look on. And that God was going to begin to deal with man differently. He used to just deal and say the Jews. They were his people. But there was coming a day when the Jews, that their specialness was going to be a brand against them. 
You know, look, imagine for, you know, 200 generations, God is giving you miracles and he's giving you the law and he's sending angels before you. And your people are just as ungodly as the heathens around them. Can you see how this becomes a badge of, of, of shame, really? He came unto, un, unto the Jewish people, what? They had it written in their Bibles he was coming? He came in the city he was supposed to be born in? He came doing miracles, and he came doing all the things he was supposed to do, and guess what? The people that should have known, the people that should have believed, and the people that should have received, guess what? They did not. And that's what Jesus uses the Samaritans for as he in, interacts with them in Scripture. So the Jewish priest, the Levite, they fail to help, but these pure Jews, they're too busy. They don't stop. But what? A Samaritan does. The moral of that story is Samaritans are good. No, the moral of the story is, is that they're not good, but God can use them to do good things, and he's going to do that. Okay? Remember the Samaritan woman that Jesus called a dog. Why? Why? And what, what does she do? She goes, yep, but even dogs get to eat crumbs from the master's table, right? So here we have a Samaritan woman who's humbled by her, her birth. She's humbled by her circumstance. She's over, you know, by a well, not too far from the her heretic place they worship their God on, right? And Jesus is offering to her some crumbs from the table. She's getting a glimpse that God's about to do something different. This is what God used the Samaritans for. In 2 Kings chapter 7, I was, you may think it's funny, you, you, you might even laugh. I was wondering. So the main story, one of the huge main stories of the Old Testament is these lepers outside Samaria. And here we have Jesus encountering lepers in Samaria. Right around that exact same place. Do you think this story was familiar, Derek, to the people that were around? I mean, if Jesus had come through this town and had, had interacted with lepers and a thousand years ago, you know, some great prophet interacted with lepers, do you think the people would maybe draw a correlation between the two stories? I think they would. In fact, our local school might be, you know, the Logan Elm lepers or something like that, you know. Uh, that, that, could be, that could be us, right? And everyone would be like, yeah, because these lepers, they, you know, they helped save all of Samaria because they went out and they discovered that there was food there. And instead of the whole city being destroyed, it got saved because of the lepers. We're going to be the Logan Elm lepers, you know, something like that. So here Jesus is in this area where this story, I know the Logan Elm lepers is not a great name for a football team. But, but, but for the point of analogy, it's what we do, right? Right? You know, we named something based on something in our history. Our history is like that small, right? Their history was huge. And the things that happened in there, I'm telling you, they did not forget about, uh, you know, what went on in Samaria. They did not forget about how God, uh, you know, brought his spirit and scared all the Syrians off so that these lepers came and found all this food and, and, and saved them from a great siege. I'm telling you, these people knew the story. So here Jesus is. He's in this area. He's encountering these people. And they would begin to see an analogy. And I was kind of wondering what it was before tonight. I actually was typing it out during offering. Because I, I think it's great. I think I see it right now. So the king doesn't believe the word of God. He kind of represents the best, the highest, the most important. He's told by the prophet of God, God's going to do a great work. And he's going to save. Everybody say save. Save. 
going to save them all, right? And so the king's like, no, you know. And he's like, you know what? You're going to get trampled underfoot. You're, you're going to see it, but never be a part of it. Can you see the analogy coming to pass? So these Jews were one day going to see salvation come, and they weren't going to be a part of it. They were going to be trampled. And so this story is happening in the backdrop of this other story from the Old Testament, and they can see it. And here, the word of the prophet Christ is coming forth, and they're not listening to it, but some lepers listen to it. And as a result, some lepers uh, are healed. And one leper gets even more than healing. All right, so let's keep going. So they entered into a certain village, and there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Maybe one day, Steve, when I really get my Bible understanding good, I'll understand why it was ten. You know, but I have no idea. It's ten guys, okay? And... Uh, they, they, were, they were lepers, and they stood afar off. Now, you guys know what leprosy is. We, people still have it today. You guys know the name for it? People don't say leprosy anymore. No one's going to come up and tell you, I have leprosy. They're going to say they have Hansen's disease, okay? And there is actually a leper colony down in Louisiana. Uh, you could actually see leprosy firsthand if they'll let you in there. Uh, and it's a horrible, horrible disease. Has anyone ever seen anyone with leprosy? I've never seen anybody in real life. I've seen pictures. Leprosy, uh, the nerve endings in your fingers and hands and your body, it wears out. And so you're, you're, you, you don't feel things and things get rubbed off and your ears start coming off and your nose and your fingers. And, and you literally begin to sort of rot while you're alive. It's a horrible, nasty disease. And they lose their fingers and their ears and their nose. And, and they're, they're very scary looking. And leprosy has been used oftentimes as a comparison of sin. It makes you unclean. It rots the body while you live in it, and it separates you from others. If you read the Levitical law of Leviticus 13, leprosy, when, you, when it was found that you had leprosy, a priest would, would determine whether you really had it or not, not a doctor, but a priest. And when he would notice that you had it, you had to then live outside the camp. You were not allowed to live with others. And so this is making the analogy of sin even more. Sin separates us from others. Sin rots us, our body. It destroys our life while we live in, and it makes us unclean, okay? So you can read about it in Leviticus 13. The pronouncement of a person with leper is, he shall dwell alone outside the camp. And that's what sin does. Sin destroys our relationships with our wives, our children, the people around us, and it puts us outside, so here we have ten lepers. They're standing afar off. As bad as they were, they heard about Jesus somehow, and somehow they recognized him. They knew to not approach him, and, and, but, but they're, like, they're, they're like, all right, we can't get near him. We've got to obey the law. We're lepers. But like, Lord, Master, will you help us? And so they cried out. There are people in the Bible that do this. You guys remember blind Bartimaeus? He couldn't see the Lord, but he heard what was going on. And he's like, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Something I noticed in that story as I read it uh, again this week is that they said Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And at that time, Jesus of Nazareth was like saying Jesus of the trailer park. You know, Jesus, the low life is coming by. And he didn't respond in the same way. He cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, shut up. And he cried the louder. Remember that story? You see, that's what people do who want Jesus. They, they cry out. You'll, you'll find them. 
I didn't, you know, we, we were yelling at people yesterday trying to get them to stop and they weren't stopping. And here this little woman walking through the alley. No, didn't yell for her. She just walked straight up. Hi. You know, we're yelling and yelling and yelling and the people won't stop. But what people do that Christ is saving is that they come. They lifted up their voices and they addressed him as master. Master, have mercy. You know, we have not because we ask not. And the beginning of many a miracle is a voice lifted up to God asking for help. They addressed him as master. And I looked it up and it's teacher, rabbi, great leader. They were addressing him with great reverence. You know, this is something that's very, very unpopular today. Jesus is, you know, he's our co-pilot. He's our buddy. We can talk to him however we want. He hears us. He loves us. He's our friend. And he is our friend, but guys, he's our master. Amen? We should address God with respect. We should be reverent. We should have our, you know, it's not like, you know, you're walking around with your, you know, your little buddy from church. It's God. We should address him respectfully. God resists the proud. But when they addressed him, somehow they believed he was able to heal them. And the Bible says that if we want to see our prayers answered, what do we have to do, guys? We have to, we got to believe. In fact, it says if, unless we believe that God is and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, we can't even please God. We must have faith. We must believe God without wavering. As James says, the man that wavers, he should not expect to receive anything from God. When we ask, we should be, God, okay, I'm, we're, I'm expecting you. Yesterday at the mill, I was kind of overwhelmed by the rain and all that. And I'm, I'm just now remembering this. I remember stopping and go, Lord, I came down here and what I was hoping would happen, it didn't really happen. Why do you have me here? Lord, I want to, Lord, will you show me why you have me here? I forgot about that. We need to be asking God and expecting him to answer our prayers. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that they went. And they were cleansed. I mean, you talk about a power-packed verse. You know, if you don't know Levitical law, you sort of miss all a lot here. Do you, do you know what show yourself to the priest means? You can read about it in Levitical 14, Leviticus 14. I was describing it to my kids this week, and they go, It sounds like they're making it up, Dad. You guys know what a, what a leper is supposed to do? A leper comes to the priest and he goes, all right, check me out. What do you think? Do I have leprosy? Do I still have it? Maybe I don't have it anymore. You, it's an entire chapter. There, there are sacrifices to offer. The blood from the sacrifices are, uh, I believe some of them are mixed with oil and they're put in the palm and then they take from the palm and they put them on their big toe and then they release a bird. The bird flies. and I mean, it's, it's quite an ordeal. In fact, it's expensive. In fact, it's such an expensive ordeal that there's a remedy for people with less money. You can do, uh, you can do a little less. If you don't have the money for this kind of sacrifice, then you can do with less money. You know? 
and there's wave offering that you're supposed to do. You should read about it. It's, it's 14. But, but, in, but so as you read about this in Levitical, Leviticus 14, you know, we think, oh, he told them to go and they went and while they're walking. No, folks, they were going to show themselves to the priest. They weren't saying, I know I'm going to have to get the sacrifice. I know I'm going to have to go through this procedure. I know that I'm going to have to put all this money out. I know that I'm going to have to do all this, but the master said go and I'm going to go. And so here they go. Do you understand this? Oh, this is what we call, and I, Spurgeon called it this. He called it the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith is what we do when we believe, okay? So he says go, and, you could, and he could have gone, well, what do I need to go to the priest for? I've heard about all these people that had all these things happen, and you just laid hands on them. You just told them to get up. You just told them to pick up their mat. You just, told, you just put mud on this one guy's eyes, and i got to go do this. He didn't say that. But I'm telling you, whatever Jesus says, that's what you do. If, if take up your bed and walk is what he says, what do you got to do? Take up your bed and walk. If he's out walking on the water and he says, come to me, what do you got to do? You got to come to him. If he says, you know, whatever it is, pick up your mat. Oh, well, you know, maybe I'm going to break the Sabbath. I'm not really sure I'm allowed to do that. Take up your mat and walk. Stretch forth your hand. Whatever it is. And in this case, go show yourself to the priest was a very elaborate thing. But what they do, guys, every one of them, they went. The obedience that comes with faith. You know, God requires different things of different people. What did he say to the rich young ruler? Did he, did he say what he said to you, to me? No. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The doctrine isn't go sell all you have and give to the poor is what you need to do to be saved. The doctrine is whatever Christ says that you are to do, you've got to go do it. If it's stretch forth your hand or if it's go show yourself to the priest. Oh, it's not fair. They went. And they were there to do what God had told them to do, that the master had told them to do, and they were on their way to do it. it you know, this is that's why I'm saying this is like more like a, more like a nursery rhyme. They're on their way to do it as they went. I, don't I really don't think it was like that. I don't think it was, here they were, and they started walking, and it was all fine. I think that all this stuff that I'm saying, Jesus obeys the law, right? He believes in the law. These people understood the law. They knew what was, this was all about. And so they went. And as they went, they were cleansed. And you'll find in Scripture that when people obeyed what God says to do, when He said to rise up and walk, if they rose up, what happened? They walked. If they stretched forth their hand, what happened? They were healed. And when He told them to go show themselves to the priest as they went, and this is God's mercy, they didn't know. They didn't know they would get healed as they went. But they did. They hadn't come and they hadn't done all those things, but they were on their way to do it. Some, some commentators believe that they literally did. And they still, in order to be cleansed from leprosy, they still would have to go show themselves to the priest. It wouldn't matter if they were cleansed. They, the priest is the one who determines that they were. But they were. Verse 15. And one of them, everybody say one of them. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back, and with a loud voice he glorified God. Some commentators say that after he uh, saw that he was cleansed, after he went to the priest, after he fulfilled all the law, then he went back. We don't know. It doesn't exactly say. 
But I think the person was making the point about that there was a lot to be done and that the definition of cleansed actually came from the priest. The priest only could pronounce you cleansed. When he was healed, he turned back with a loud voice and he glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit doesn't put words in here for nothing. You know what the last few words of Luke in uh, 17, 16 are? It says, and he was a Samaritan. Now, I don't know. Maybe the other nine weren't Samaritans. They were in that area. They were together. I don't know. But, but the one turned back, and he was a Samaritan. Do you think being a Samaritan was a point here? Do you think that was something that the Holy Spirit wanted to bring out? They were traveling through Samaria and Galilee, and they stood afar off, and they're in this area where the, where the four lepers were at the gates of Samaria, and here he was. He's a Samaritan, and he turns back. I think this is part of it. This is the same writer that wrote about the Good Samaritan. It's the same writer that wrote about uh, the woman who uh, was from Samaria who was, a, who was you know, called a dog by our Lord. Luke understood what was going on here and he documented it in such a way that we couldn't miss it. This man, this leper wasn't just in the area of Samaria. He was a Samaritan. Straight is the gate, folks, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few... There will be who find it. Most will not respond to the gospel. Few will. Their response to his grace and his mercy will be filled with passion and worship and thanksgiving like the grateful leper. Miracles will not be the reason that people are saved. Even belief that God is able to heal them. You see that phrase that Jesus says to him later. I was always taught growing up that what it meant was he got his ears back and his fingers back. He was made whole. There's the word whole. But if you look it up, that's not what the word means at all. I don't know if he got his ears and his his. I know he's got them back now. Amen? But I don't know if he got them back. But if you look up the word whole, basically it's a phrase that's used several other times by Luke. It's a word. And for some reason, Tyndale or whoever made this translation, they, they made the word whole. But the word here translated means that he was, he was saved by God. Body, soul, and spirit. The whole man got a miracle that day, not just his flesh. Amen? I believe that God was bringing us to the place. You know, sometimes we think we're going to do extraordinary things. We think we're going to say extraordinary things. We're going to... You know, I mean, certainly, if God touches them and heals them, certainly God's going to save them. But I think that there's something to be said for the depravity of man who watches the Red Sea part, who will still make idols, who sees the plagues come down, who will still grumble against God and say, would be to God it was better we died in the wilderness than to come here and stand and be die out here. Or that we died in Egypt rather than die here. Folks, I'm telling you, without the loving, merciful hand of God and the gift of faith, we, have, we would have no desire to serve Him no matter how good God was to us. That's what the story of the children of Israel is about. Look how good I was to them. Look how kind I was to them. Look what miracles I did to them. And I even came to them first. And you know what they did? They didn't want me. They didn't like my miracles. And in this case, they weren't even thankful for them. 
It's like all these encounters with Christ. He's healing people. He's touching people and all they can see is, I think he may have broken the Sabbath while he did that. What did he do? Remember he's a, that, 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 blind, that blind boy who was blind? He's like, hey, you know what? I don't even know. I don't know if he's righteous. I don't know if he's good. All I know is that I once was blind, but now I see. And it's a good story. But the, the, the emphasis in the story is that they missed the goodness. Folks, without Christ in us, without the gift of saving faith in our lives, we can look at a miracle straight in the face. We can even look at one on our own body. We can even have leprosy cleansed in our own body. And we're so depraved that we don't even care. The heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately wicked. But you know what this fellow did? He lifted up his voice. You see, even belief that God is able to heal is not enough. Many were willing to believe in anything when they're desperate. Haven't you found this? They, they come to the church, their life is a mess. Oh, oh, help me. And you help them and you stabilize them. And you, and you know what we find? They don't even come to God. And you might go, what's well, terrible? Oh, well, God's showing us something about ourselves. With a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell down on his face at his feet. He gave him thanks. And then it says, and he was a Samaritan. Can you see the point? Can you see the point Jesus is making? He was the lowest of the low. He was not who people might expect to have faith in Messiah. And you'll find this to be true. If you judge people according to their flesh, if you look at them and say, you know, they're practically already a Christian. I've heard people say this about other people. They'll be easy. They're already, I mean, they're just like Christians. They'll be the ones. We'll bring them to church. Those are the ones we're going to spend our time and our efforts on. They're, they're almost Christians right now. Folks, no, they're not. There's no such thing as almost a Christian. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how nice you look. I don't care, you know, if they voted you man of the year, citizen of the decade. Without the saving faith of Jesus Christ, I don't care how clean you are. The Bible says that your righteousness to God is filthy rags. That no man seeks after God. Amen? It is more often, it is the humblest, it is the lowest, it is the least likely that come to saving faith. So Jesus, Steve, he looked and he, he says to the one, I, I think it's really funny. Where are the nine? See, this is the point of the whole story. Where's the nine? Where are they? Why is he in the story with where are the nine? Because that's what the story's about. You see, the nine, that's you and me without Christ's intervention in our life. We're the nine. Jesus points to the nine asking where they were rhetorically. He knew where they were. They, like most of Israel, even though they had seen as many miracles, most did not come to him with saving faith, with gratitude, passionate worship. They came to him to kill him, to find cause to put him to death, to argue with him. This is what Israel did. Those who had the law, the history of centuries of miracles, this is what man does. With all that God does for him, man without the gift of saving faith is depraved. And even none of those who should have come, if men ever came for reasons, they don't come. None of them came. But I have a different question for you today and something I'd like our church to begin thinking about today 
and I'd like you to think about it tomorrow, and I'd like it to be on your mind for weeks and weeks and really forever, but let's just get it on our minds for a few weeks. Can we do it? And my question today is where is the one? Let's find one of those. One, Jonathan. Let's look for them. Let's seek it out for those. Let's seek and save those that are lost. Let's lead them to the Messiah. Watching saving faith erupt from them and fill them with passionate, humble worship and thanksgiving. That's who we pray is coming to this church. Amen? May we at every gas station and restaurant be looking for the one. May we be speaking the word of God. May we, may we be going, oh God, where are they? Lord, could I be the instrument of them coming to you? Could I be the one who like Jesus says, hey, you know what? This is what you need to do. And they go, okay, I'll do it. What do I need? Oh, you need to, you need to come to church. You need to hear the word of God. Okay. Man, there's nothing like hearing that. There is nothing like hearing that. To go, you know, to meet a young man, like I remember meeting Jeff and going, Jeff, hey, you know, don't, don't do that. Come and hang out and spend some time with me. It was just my hope. Jeff would be the one. I know I, know I didn't save you, Jeff, or anything like that. But, but in a sense, I think it, I think, I think it did. I think of many of you, I, you know, it, I, it, I just want to start talking about you, about what God has done in your life. Who's the one? I didn't, didn't know it was going to be you. I didn't know it was going to be you, Ash. Oh, but to see God do something in someone's life is such an amazing and wonderful and beautiful thing. And I don't think Jesus wants us to be wondering about where are the nine he wants us to wonder about where is the one. Amen? Amen. Verse 18, there are not found those that return to give glory to God except this fellow. He said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath brought salvation. That's, where, that's what salvation, it comes from faith in God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, word of God. I read, a, I read a sermon by Spurgeon. If you, if, if you need a little help and you need a little encouragement and you want to read some literature, you can read, you know, whatever. You can read N.B. Wilson or whoever you want. But, man, if, if you want to read something that Electra, it, man, it, I get excited when I read Spurgeon sermons. I love the word pictures that he makes. You mind if I close with a little Spurgeon for you? You guys want me to read it for you? Amen. Touch me. I read it and I'm sitting here next to my wife and I'm just like tears are coming down my eyes and, and I'm like, honey, I got to read this. And her head was zapping and hurting and she literally had her eyes closed and she's kind of got her head like into the, and I'm like, honey, can you just listen? Because I just, I just got to read it to somebody. I got to read it. So I'm going to read it to you right now. He was doing a sermon on saving faith and he had noticed that Luke used this, thy faith has saved thee with the, with the woman who... Uh, who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. And he noticed that Jesus used it with the blind man that called out. And, and he noticed that it was also in these two stories in Luke that it was the same, same phrase. And he talked about saving faith. And I'll, I'll close with reading this. He said, in the story of the penitent woman, that's the woman who, 
who, who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and dried them with their hair. He said, her great sins were forgiven her and she became a woman of extraordinary love. She loved much for she had been much forgiven. I feel in thinking of her something like the eminent father of the church who said this. He said, the narrative of this woman is not one that I can well preach about. For I had rather weep over this story in my closet than preach about it. He said the woman's tears, the woman's unbraided tresses wiping the Savior's feet, her coming so near to the Lord in such a company, facing such cavaliers who would make fun of her with her fond and resolute intent on doing honor to Jesus. Verily among those that have loved the Savior there hath not lived a greater than this woman who was a sinner. Yet for all that Jesus did not say to her, your love has saved you. Love is the golden apple of the tree of which faith is the root. And the Savior took great care not to ascribe the fruit to that which belongs only to the root. This loving woman was also notable for her repentance. Mark well her tears. Those were not tears of sentimental emotion, but they were a rain of holy heart sorrow for her sin. She had been a sinner and she knew it. She remembered well her multitude of iniquities and she felt each sin deserved a tear. And there she stood, weeping herself away because she had offended her Lord. Yet it is not said, thy repentance has saved thee, young lady. Her being saved caused her repentance. Her repentance did not save her. Sorrow for sin is an early token of grace within the heart, yet it is nowhere said, thy sorrow for sin has saved thee. She was a woman of great humility. She came behind the Lord and washed his feet as though she felt herself only to be a menial servant to perform a work of drudgery and to find pleasure in serving the Lord. Her reverence for him had reached a high point and she regarded him as king and she did what sometimes subjects have been known to do for monarchs and she kissed the feet of her Lord giving him well-deserved homage. Her loyal reverence led her to kiss the feet of her Lord, her sovereign of her soul. But I do not find anywhere that Jesus looked at her and said, thy humility has saved thee, or thy reverence has saved thee. But he put the crown upon the head of her faith. Isn't that a great picture? He put the crown on the head of her faith and said expressly, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace our question today is where is the one may we find them may we look for faith as Christ did when he came to the earth he came looking for faith may we be looking may we speak the word of God to them may we bring them in may we offer them love and offer them a community to be a part of amen that's what I want I want to see some lost people in this building coming to Christ and learning I'm longing for it like a, like a woman who hasn't had children. We've got to see some people come to Christ. It's happened before. It can happen here. Let us pray. Lord, we're asking ourselves today, and I feel that you asking us, where is the one? The nine didn't come, and, and, and those who have no saving faith, they won't. It won't matter what we do, what we say, how good our tracks are, how convincing our arguments are, how loud our voices are. 
Lord, it's their voices that will be loud as they cry to You. It's their display that will be beautiful as they fall at Your feet. It's their lives that will be excellent as they glorify You. May we find them. May we speak truth to them. And Lord, may we get to see them saved and be a part of them. May they be a part of us. Lord, bring us lost souls that You are bringing to the kingdom. Trust us with them, O God. We will love them. We will nurture them. We will bring them into Your church. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to serve you.